false neutral podcast this is episode 105 what should have been the september episode is the october episode because we didn't have one last month for the first time in a what year and a half since we went or two and a half years since we went monthly Mm -hmm. sorry that we missed a month but i was uh gone on vacation for a week and we all were busy and we had just trying to get a hold of each other was challenging last month so uh Sorry about that, but you're not paying for it. We don't have any Patreons. Nobody's <laughs> nobody's paying us anything. So it's been two months. What have you guys been doing in your workshops? Well, not a whole lot motorcycle-wise on my end. I've been just so busy at work. Um, you know, working in a COVID ICU unit, we've been really busy. And uh, so my wife and I are moving into a new house in about three and a half weeks. Oh, Uh wow. Yeah. And so our current house, we're going to rent, uh, but we have to, you know, basically get it ready to rent. So finishing all the little odds and ends that needed to be finished up on the house. You know, this house that I'm living in, I bought it in, I think 2007 maybe. And it was just a dilapidated 900 square foot mess of a house. And, uh, over the course of a few years, I added on a thousand square feet to it and, um, like renovated the whole thing, except I did it all myself. And when you do things yourself, um, you never really finish them. I find, you know, it's kind of like projects, um, when you pay somebody else to do it, you know, you expect that it gets completed when you're doing it yourself, you, you know, find it might be a bigger project than you realize. And then like, you'll finish something 95% and then move on to the next thing because there's just so many things that need to be done. So I'm finishing the last 5% of everything that I've neglected over the past <laughs> few years. And uh, there's a lot to do. So I've been basically just nonstop working either, you know, at, at my job or on this house um, just so we can get it all ready. And it's about there. So um, we'll be moving uh, October 28th and this house will, we'll put it up for rent here in, uh, another month or two. But, um, I did. So I have this friend and he has gotten really into mini bikes and, uh, he found this video on YouTube of a person that had, I think it might be like an XR 100 or XR 200 and put like a lawnmower style engine in it. And so he just became enthralled with this idea. So I was at Is a that friend. the one where they there's a guy that took one and he put a Predator 212 from yeah. Harbor Freight in it and he takes yeah. it out on the trails and Yep. That's actually more impressive than I thought it was going to be. I'll right. have to link to it so people can watch it. Uh, yeah. Go to our Hooniverse. It really is. It's an amazingly good bike for something that's <laughs> basically built out of the cheapest junk you can buy. Yeah. He, he sent me the video and I didn't even watch it because I was just like, this has to be the dumbest idea in the world. 
And finally, he convinced me to watch it. And I was very surprised. Like, it actually goes pretty darn good. So he has been sort of perseverating over this idea of building something like that. And I was at a friend's property here recently. And the back of his property, he had this, it must be like a 70s, late 70s, early 80s KX125 motorcycle that was complete minus the engine and just as a joke i i picked it up i paid 50 bucks for it uh threw it in the back of my truck and brought it to my friend as a joke and i was like all right here's your starting point well that day he went and bought a predator 212 (laughs) engine (laughs) and is getting it fit in there and he's like you know making his own version of of one of these he uh I don't know how familiar you are with the Predator engines, but there's a, a huge aftermarket for them. You can oh, get yeah, there really high is. compression pistons and camshafts and valve springs. And like, I mean, you name it and you can like build one of these engines like to be pretty powerful. So he didn't go completely bonkers on it, but he did do like a high compression piston and some heavy duty valve springs and a few other things. Um, and so is putting it in this old KX uh, 125, which, you know, I, I don't know how well it'll work, but, um, it'll be interesting when it's finished. So I'll find a picture of the motorcycle because it's kind of a mess. Um, so there's that. And what was that, Pete? Oh, no, I was going to say, I'm sorry. I just pulled it up and I'm like, is it? Oh no, it's that's, there's two of them in here. There's a, a 22 horsepower one and then the six and a half horsepower one. And so it's the six and a half horsepower one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, along the lines of mini bikes, I, so on Instagram, I follow a few like mini bike, um, pages. There's like mini bike syndicate and a few other ones. And the, they just post pictures of people's mini bikes. And it seems generally that mini bikes are becoming like more and more popular now. Um, mm-hmm. And there's like a, a lot of really cool, but simple mini bikes. And I've actually kind of gotten into this idea of like putting one together. And so I've been kind of thinking about that. There's this mini bike, um, and it's worth looking at. If you, I don't know, I'll, I'll try and Google it. It's the name of the uh, mini bike is El Chapo and it's a little like kind of bobber style, um, mini bike and it's like the coolest thing in the world i think and the frame is really simple and i thought about um trying to like replicate it um yeah el chapo the mini bike it's a uh, it's a pretty hilarious looking uh little mini bike and it's worth checking out if you just google it um although trying to find that mini bike uh, with pictures of el chapo guzman <laughs> and the search results <laughs> you'll have to sift through but at any rate so yeah the the whole mini bike thing i think is pretty interesting and it seems like they're becoming a lot more popular um just with people you know adults that like to ride them around their neighborhoods but talking about the uh the predator powered honda uh there's also a video that i ran across when i was uh researching my CL125 and a guy had a 74 XL100 with a bad motor. So he put a 200 CC motor out of an ATC 
200S. Yeah. So it's a pull start with the auto clutch on it. Yeah. The guy like literally built it out of whatever junk he had in his yard. So it's kind of sketchy. But at the end, he's like doing donuts and riding it around. And he seemed really pleased with how it went. And I thought that would actually be kind of a cool little woods bike. Yeah. To have the auto clutch, the same thing that they have on the like CT70 and stuff like that. In a 200cc, in that little tiny frame, yeah. that would be actually a very cool thing. Well, I'm completely convinced that you can have 10 times more fun on a little motorcycle than you can a big motorcycle. And we've talked about this before. When you can ride something at 10 tenths, and, and it's not like you're out of control, you can you know actually do it. It's, I think it's more fun than riding something to the best of your ability, and you're only at maybe three or four tenths. I took my boys to a little riding trip a few months ago and I took my trail 70 there. And so I was riding some of the motocross trails, but on my trail 70 and I had so much more fun than I do on my CRF 450. Oftentimes these, you know, mini bikes riding on trails and, you know, it's actually a ton of fun. You know, I have a couple of friends that I ride with and I think it would be more fun if we were all on mini bikes than we were on our motocross bikes. Uh, ripping around together, you know, actually just being at 10 tenths, you know, but without that crazy fear of crashing. And, yeah. If you go back and you look at like some of the motorcycle movies that were made back in the seventies, mm-hmm. late sixties, early seventies, there were literally like racing classes for those. Oh yeah. The yeah. taco mini, but yeah. Monkey bikes. Not even that. The, the no suspension, like, what Coleman sell, sells now, right, or, you know, right. the kind that you can buy at Tractor Supply. They actually had like desert racing classes for those, and they'd have a, yeah. a, you know, a mile or two cross country track. Have you guys seen, you know, have you heard of the Gambler 500? Yep. Yeah. So that's based over here where I'm at, like just outside of Portland is where the, the people that founded it are. But um, they have something similar, but with mini bikes. And it's like a desert hundred mile ride, but like strictly for Polestar centrifugal clutch mini bikes. And it's just absolutely crazy. There's, I mean, these people, there's a lot of them gather to do this and they're all just on mini bikes, like basically desert racing them. And it's pretty wild. They do it over here in Oregon. Uh, I do know like in the South, mini bike drag racing is actually pretty popular and it is kind of a big thing where people build these all out custom. I will, I will tell you something about the South. They will drag race if they can bet, if they can drag race it <laughs> yeah. and bet on it, it <laughs> yeah. doesn't matter what it golf carts mean yeah. by, I mean, they will do it. Trust me. Yeah. Eighth mile it, races down there. And it's just yeah. Like, and like these mini bikes are ridiculously fast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the track slicks on the back and stretched out and, and they get really into it. And it's kind of a crazy show to watch. And speaking of mini bike drag racing, just before we started this uh, podcast, I was looking around on YouTube and I came across this video and I posted it in our comment section. But it's a YouTube video of a guy who uh, travels to Thailand and he covers um, some various like motorsports things. And, and the first thing that I watched of his were um those little canal boats with the engines on a stick you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but in thailand uh there's this whole um 
kind of population of people that drag race those, but like some of them will have like two JZ engines, like on his, <laughs> and these, these boats are doing like 130 miles an hour and they're basically canoes with, with an engine on it. <laughs> and it is just the most wild thing to watch. So that is definitely worth watching. But what I was watching before we started this podcast was they have these 150 CC two stroke motorcycles that they have in Thailand and, and they modify them and, and drag race them. And these 150 CC motorcycles, uh, like the top class, they're doing nine second quarter miles on them. I mean, they're these like nitrous. Quarter miles? Yes. Yeah, these are, these are like the underbone. Yeah. They're, they're kind of like the cub style frame on them with really skinny tires. Well, some of, some of them have like a perimeter frame. They're, they almost look like a street bike, like a 125 cc perimeter frame street bike, but they're completely stripped down to the frame. They have almost like a BMX style wheel on the front where it's just like tall and skinny. Yeah. And just, you know, I guess kind of a narrow, but functional, uh, drag slick on the back. And so the, like, kind of the middle classes are running like 10 and 11 second quarter miles on these. Wow. But then the, you know, top class is a nine second quarter mile. And they're drag racing these things, um, basically on this little two lane road with people lining. I mean, oh, yeah. the entire length of it is just people packed in tight clothes. Like, I mean, if one of these motorcycles went off course, yes. it would just Welcome. wipe out a thousand yeah, people. Yeah, you should see straight racing around here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you're well, talking you know, people with twelve and fifteen hundred horsepower, if not more, yeah, streetcars. Yeah. You know, yeah, and you're talking three thousand plus pounds and yeah. people lining the yeah. Right. So, um, and then so if that's not crazy enough, this so the video that I watched is like this whole like gigantic party, and um, at one point they let all the spectators with their own motorcycles drag race each other like 10 in a row and there's just lines and lines and lines and lines of spectators on their scooters everything from street bikes to scooters and everything in between are drag racing each other um with like virtually no structure or organization to it and it is completely crazy to watch um yeah thailand 150cc motorcycle racing. If you want to YouTube that, it's actually pretty impressive. Yeah, the, uh, the photo that Pete just threw in here, those are those are pretty sketch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's basically what it is. Uh the 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 video that I watched, it's um an actual like it is technically an organized competition with like tiered classes, and um there seems to be a lot of money involved because some of the motorcycles you know you can tell there's a lot of engineering in them uh the video the picture that pete that we're looking at right now these ones are probably a little bit more low buck but uh still i mean same concept it's just there's scooters that are stripped down and modified to run just incredible speeds really like pretty horrific speeds actually but it's worth watching yeah. Makes me want to go to Thailand and hop on one of these things and <laughs> do it. Oh, yeah, that would be fun. Just to, well, just be able to go to Thailand right now would be nice. <laughs> yeah, just to be able to fly anywhere would be nice. True. 
Uh, I actually almost flew to Colorado last week, but I was going to go buy a vehicle and packed out of it. Yeah, well, one of my coworkers on his four-day stretch off, he was looking at plane tickets, and from Portland to Colorado, he found a round-trip ticket for 100 bucks. So he flew to Colorado and hung out in Aspen for a few days and then flew home and it didn't cost him very much money, a few hundred bucks to do the whole trip. Yeah, there was going to be, it was funny. It's like the plane, the, the ticket out there would have been $70. Yeah. The gas to drive home would have been like 300. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and 18 hours, but yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Um, so I had the Royal Enfield go home. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I know. I was pretty sad about that because my, I, I forget if we talked about this last time. Last right time before. we talked, you, you, you had had it, but, um, your neck was in a lot yep. of pain. And so you hadn't really like gotten a, the full experience yet. Yeah. I had gotten one good ride on it and a couple little short scoots, but I got two reasonable rides. Um, the last couple days I had it before they came to pick it up. Not, they weren't anything special, but they were, you know, 45 minute, good 45 minute hour to hour rides and kind of two lane road, mostly straight, but not a lot of traffic. So it was good. It was good and, um, got sent back and my, my neck was starting to feel better. In fact, I just, today was my last physical therapy for that. So, but, um, I ended up sending it back was good. I ended up only putting like 300 and not even 300 miles on it. So, which sucked, but whatever. Yeah. For the amount of time I had it. Um, Wrote up the wrote up the review of it. It's over on Hooniverse, so please go. For those of you listening, please go over to Hooniverse and and read the article. I looked at the numbers, and it's a little disappointing, but you know, I wrote it. So anything other than phenomenal is disappointing, <laughs> you know, right? Um, it ended up being twenty, almost twenty four hundred words, I think, maybe a little longer than that. So it's a longer article. Um. Had a couple of people send me some feedback on it. Everyone thought it was reasonable, pretty good. So, um, and for a lot of the reasons we like motorcycling, I kind of talked about and just and and that was the thing with that that with that bike for me is it just made me remember of how much I miss having a street bike. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the I described it as you know that's that's my that's my meditation right because like you get on a bike for the first time in a long time and you're just like thinking about everything, but then when you start getting comfortable with the bike and tuned in and remember how to do everything then everything just goes away and it's just you, the bike and kind of everything going around and you're not thinking about it, but you're aware of it. Yeah. And it just, all of a sudden your mind goes quiet and I'm like, my God, have I missed this? Yeah. You know? and, and I, I was trying, I was trying to communicate that in, in the story. I don't know if I did well, did that well or not, but it was like, so when it, when it went back, I'm like, I all of a sudden I got semi-motivated about my bike and that lasted about a week. And then I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, can I just go, I just need to go buy something and, you know, and, and just, that thing will just be what it is. So. What I what I like about the Royal Enfield, um, couple things, and and first is that it's I love looking at it. It's mm-hmm. I think just a really really good looking bike. Um, but also, and I was talking to someone about this, and and so at the time I had my FC one, which I have sold. Um, and I was talking about selling my FC one and getting something like a Royal Enfield. And one of my friends was like, you know, why would you want something so slow, uh, you know, compared to the FC one? And like in, in my life, I'm always so busy. Everything's always going so fast. I was telling him that, you know, something less powerful and just kind of more calm is like an opportunity to slow down. Mm-hmm. Right. And actually just enjoy the ride 
and not always feel like you need to go fast or wheelie or feel the acceleration. Like sometimes you just want to go and not mm-hmm. slow. Slow is not the right word. The motorcycle will do, you know, at a more, relaxed, at a more relaxed yeah. pace. Yeah. It just, it's not, it's not tempting you to um, do reckless things. And it's just an opportunity to just ride and enjoy the ride. And, and so that's the one thing about the Oriole Enfield that I think is really special. A couple weekends ago, Sarah and I took off on our spiders and just went out along the river road for about, I don't know, 80, 90 miles out and then back and just, you know, got out of town, got away from traffic on little two lane rural roads. And we both came back and were like, why don't we do that more often? Just, you know, check out. You're not trying to get anywhere. You're not trying to make time. You're not even trying to see anything. There's a little tiny town out in the middle of nowhere. They have the world's largest Canada goose, which is this big fiberglass thing that's now, I mean, it's 40 years older than she remembered. And she's like, wow, it's looking pretty sad. But anyways, we we went out to look at it because she's like, I haven't seen that since I was in high school. So that's what we did. It was just getting out, getting away. And it's one of those activities where you're not, you're never thinking, I would rather be doing X. You're just thinking about where you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing I uh, I tried to communicate in that story is, is and kind of like what you're talking about, Garrett, a little bit is the Royal Enfield is almost like a it, well, it basically is a modern resto mod, right? Yeah. It's most of that. I mean, it's a modern bike, so it's got like good castings and everything like that. You don't have to worry about leaking, but it looks right out of 1965. But it has fuel injection and electronic ignition and good brakes. Yeah. <laughs> well, and electric start. <laughs> yeah, and electric start. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, all of the, the BS that you deal with in an old bike isn't there. It doesn't leak yeah. oil. You know, it starts well, every yeah, time. Yeah. And the thing that I love it is it reminds me so much of my Yamaha TX 750, which I loved when it worked. <laughs> right. And, but I just spent so much time working on it and, you know, trying to adapt parts to it. And, and, and it, the, you get to a point in a motorcycle project that, um, you don't get to enjoy it or appreciate it because you're always working on it. And I feel like the Royal Enfield, you have that look, you know, of a traditional, uh, you know, sixties kind of seventies motorcycle. But yeah, like you said, the modern, uh, comforts and, and amenities that make it where you can just ride it and you don't have to work on it. You don't and have to. And, it, and it's it. six and it's six grand, right? I mean, and yeah. some would say, well, yeah. like, well, yeah, but you could buy a used bike, a, a better bike for six grand used. I'm like, you could. But, yeah. But you, you can know, also buy a brand new one. Brand new one. Right. And darn and good warranty. Yeah. The used one's probably going to be carbureted. So you're going to have to immediately start messing around with the carburetors because it's probably sat in somebody's garage for a little yeah. couple of years. And exactly. You, you buy a used one and it, it's going to need something probably. Yep. If it's you, your you know. TX 750 all over again. Yeah. And then again, then you're working on a motorcycle. And if all you want to do is simply buy it, put fuel in it and enjoy it. It's, yep. I can't really imagine a better value. Uh, you know, and then I, I, I wrote that and, and put it out there and about a week or two later, Matt Farah had a video review of that, of basically the exact same bike. I, I looked at the license plate just to make sure they hadn't shipped yeah. mine out to him, yeah. right? But And it was a different bike. But I bet you he agreed with about 80, 85% of what I wrote. I'm like, okay, well, like, yeah. you know, I'm not out on left field. And yeah, like I said, it was it, like, it's, it's an awesome second bike. 
or if you want to get back into motorcycling for the first time in a long time, it's a super easy bike to just jump on and go ride. It's non-threatening. It's super simple. And like, even if, if you're an experienced rider, I think like what we're talking about, like you just want something to to start up, ride, go ride, relax, kind of easy pace. Yeah. For all those people, it's, it's like a perfect bike. So I was really impressed with it. Um, on, on highway speeds, like, like 60 miles an hour. Um, do you feel like you're having to work the bike or, or does it just, you know, at, at 60? No, at 70, starting to at 80, depending on wind direction. Absolutely. Okay. So 80 miles an hour into the wind, a little rough. So 80 miles an hour, 80 miles an hour yeah. with the wind at your back. It's not so bad. Okay. Uh, cross crosswind was actually, it was spectacular in a crosswind. It was like, one time I was riding on the highway, there was a good 15 to 20 mile an hour crosswind and it was wasn't getting moved around, didn't get buffeted by cars or anything. So it was, yeah. So if you were going to do 60 or 70 miles down the highway, it wouldn't feel tiring to do or would it? As long as you kept it at 70 or under, I think you'd be fine. Okay. But it is, I think that's one of the things I said that that bike sweet spot is sort of, 35, 40 miles an hour to up to about 70 yeah. and sort of, you know, tack wise, you're talking. So at 80 miles an hour, six gear, I think was about 52, 5300 RPM. Yeah. So, and the red line on it, it's like 72. So you're, mm-hmm. you're zinging a little bit. Um, but as you're riding on the back road or two lane road, you know, from, from kind of like four grand to seven grand, you just keep it in that spot and it, it, it's, it's got a nice meaty torque band for what it is. And it just sounds good. That's another thing you like, you buy that bike and you really don't need to put an aftermarket exhaust on it because I think it sounds, it sounds really good as is. I mean, yeah. it could have more bark. Sure. But it's, it's, it's good enough. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, you can, I'm sure you could buy like, if you, if you'd plan on doing a highway ride, I'm sure you could buy like a fly screen or something for it and just, you know, help yourself out a little bit. So, yeah. When you were, when you were talking about feedback, <laughs> every once in a while, I search for false neutral podcasts on just Google it and see if anybody's talking about us. And it's on a bike forum that I'm not normally on, but I have a, an account for, I forget what the subject was, but the, they said, Oh, they talked about that one time on the false neutral podcast. And like four or five messages down, this guy goes false neutral. Yeah. I used to listen to that when it was good. <laughs> and so I emailed the guy and I said, uh, Hey, uh, tell me what, what made it good and what makes it not good now? I'm one of the hosts. And he was like, Oh, I'm really sorry. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm really curious about what you have to say. It, to sum up what this guy told me was a podcast has value if, uh, either the host is a celebrity or the host is interviewing a celebrity. Hmm. Or the podcast is about a celebrity, or I guess you could say about something noteworthy or famous or, you know, something you have some connection to outside the podcast. You know, if, if we're talking about new bikes, he really liked that because that's something he already knows about. But when we're just talking about each other and what we're, he was like, I, I'm not going to tune in to listen to you guys talk about what you guys are doing. I, kind of went well thank you for your feedback but you know what uh, that's what it is 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've had some guests on that were noteworthy, but no, we're not famous and we're not going to have a guest every time and it's going to be us talking about our stuff. So, yeah, because that's what we enjoy <laughs> talking about. So, uh, yeah. Um, uh, Pete, you've made some progress on your on Bill Talkenstein. Uh, yes, I have. Uh, there was a weekend, I don't know, four or five weekends ago. I was just so discouraged. If I could part it out without having to do all the work of parting it out, I probably would have given up. I was telling my wife, this is it. Uh, I was struggling with trying to get my shifter linkage to work. I have splined ends on either end of a shaft, and I tried to uh, put it together by boring them, tapping them, putting a, a bolt through them, and... uh Upshifting or downshifting one way or the other, you'd always break the threads loose somewhere. It, it was, and it was really mushy because I was thinking, oh, I'm just going to put these together and I faced the ends of the, the shaft and the ends of the thing. I think they'll be butting up against each other. I'll have a real solid lock up there. Well, you don't take into account how much threads can deform when you're pushing down with your foot. It would just get really mushy and all of a sudden something would break loose. I was like, okay, well, this isn't working. I'll just red Loctite everything. And I did that and immediately sheared one of the six millimeter bolts that was holding it all together (laughs) before it would ship. I was like, wow, okay. And the way I had set it up, I have flange bearings that have to go on the shaft before the thicker splines go on the end. And I was like, well, I have to be able to take it apart to take these bearings on and off. And I struggled with all kinds of stuff and I was going to do, I, I ordered these, these split bushings that are actually used in bicycle bottom bracket sets. And I was like, yeah, I can do this. And I cost myself so much time and effort and heartache. And I finally was like, screw it. I'm doing it the bodgy way. I put the bearings on and used a zip tie to hold them in the center, took it over to Larry, my welding buddy and said, weld the ends on and these are just going to be captive bearings because all it is is just enough for the the shaft to turn back and forth it's not like it's a a spinning part of the engine or something it's just when you shift it has to be able to rotate freely back and forth 30 degrees i thought these bearings are never going to wear out and if they ever rust out it's because the whole thing is laying in a field somewhere and none of the other parts are going to be. Yeah. I'm never going to have to worry about replacing these bearings. If I do, I'll worry about it then. So I made up some clevis ends and uh, it's a combination of Yamaha YFZ 600 R, which is kind of before they came out with the real race replica they have now, this was, their 600 sport bike. So I have linkage parts from that. And I have some linkage parts from a Ducati monster because I got them with the Ducati monster engine. I bought assembled them together, made a clevis that fit on an abbreviated shifter. And actually it works now. But in the whole process of this, I realized the way for me to do this was to TIG weld it. And I got out my TIG welder and my wife was like, um, is that safe to do in our basement? Underneath the kitchen in the bedroom with, <laughs> you know, uh, wooden walls and wooden joists over your head. And I'm like, take welding. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I put my TIG welding outfit with all the accessories out on, uh, Craigslist and Facebook marketplace, sold it for most of what I had into it and took some of that money 
And that's what I paid Larry, my welding guy with. And I mean, he charged me 40 bucks. I gave him 50 because I'm like, I give you piddly ass little jobs. I want them to continue to be worth your while. So please let me, let me tip you 20%. (laughs) And I've been really wanting to see how a Norton production racer, the Prodi seat would look on this. I think it'll fit nicely. And so I took 170 bucks out of the money and I called up AirTech and said, send me another seat. So I'm going to get a sometime early November. I should have another fiberglass seat to see how that works on that frame, which I think it'll actually look nicer than the one I've got. And the other one's going to go on the Ducati Aramaki project anyway, because it works perfectly there. So, mm-hmm. and just this morning, I started sorting through all of my, I think I've got a half dozen brake calipers. And three rotors, and I'm going to try and figure out the easiest and best way to get a front brake set up for it. So, yeah, uh, I, I went back and I was looking at where I was a year ago, considering that this month is the ninth anniversary of when I bought the frame and started working on it. <laughs> but there was like probably three years in there that I didn't work on it at all. There were two years that I was working on the 125 and this sat in a corner with a sheet over it. So... I went back to look how much progress I've made in the last year. And I'm like, okay, wow, I've really been much better about getting stuff done in a timely manner. So I don't feel too bad about it. Cool. Oh, good. Yeah. Glad you're making some progress. Yeah. I'm inspired by your progress because I'm making none on my own (laughs) motorcycle wise. So it's nice to see somebody else work on something. I have other than polishing some metal and honing the cylinder. I really have made no progress on my bike in a year. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I try to do something every weekday morning before I go to work, wake up a little early and go down and do something, even if it's 20 minutes, even if it's like, you know, sorting nuts and bolts and figuring out what's going to go in where. Yeah. Do a little something. That's normally how I would work on projects, you know, especially when you have a three and a five year old kid and, and all that, it's hard to like get a good chunk of time, but you know, so I just, you know, after work, before work, just go out and do something, you know, and usually it takes a while to get projects done, but if that's all you have, then, you know, if you have 20 minutes, you have 20 minutes. And so eventually it gets done. Yeah. I I need to, I need to get it done just so I can move some things around in the garage. Cause I got to blow out this whole kind of built in half-ass table that's in there so I can, look at putting my wife's car in there this winter. So we'll mm-hmm. see. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> well, we can talk about somebody famous. We can talk about Ewan McGregor. Uh, yeah. Long way up. Before I talk about long way up, I want to talk about a guy named Ed March and he has a YouTube channel called C90 adventures. Just before long way up came out, I came across this YouTube channel and Ed March, and he takes C90 motorcycles on these incredible adventure journeys. Like the one that I'm watching, he rode from the very most northern point of Alaska all the way down south to Peru. So almost the opposite route that um, they're doing on Long Way Up he did but in they're uh, on long way up they're only going to los angeles he rode yeah. from alaska down to the southern tip of peru 
And he does it on a C90. Wow. Right. And so I think it was like a two-year journey. Wait, a, not a CT90, a C90. A C90, like a Honda Cub. Wow. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. He documents this and, you know, he's just him by himself as far as like the video and editing crew goes. It's just him. I mean, some of these adventures he did with a group of people Basically, he was the tour guide and he, you know, found some people that were willing to pay to go on an adventure. And so he's like done some of these adventures with other people. But, um, he, you know, he's not a videographer uh, by any means. But you can this this latest series that he did uh, where he rode from Alaska down to Peru. Um, and each episode, he gets better and better. And But he's really funny and he's really good on camera. And his... Um, you know, tenacity and his drive to just ride his uh, C90 around is just really impressive. And and so prior to watching Long Way Up, I was watching this. And so I was like kind of contrasting, comparing and contrasting the two. C90 Adventures, Ed March, that's a true adventure. And it's so fun to watch him kind of work through things but just doing it all on such a simple equipment and, and it's really pure and it's fun to watch. Alternatively. So I, I've just watched three episodes now of um, long way up and they wanted to do it on electric motorcycles. Mm-hmm. I get it. That is the future of motorcycling. And you know, the, 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 the idea of electric motorcycles is that, you know, it's, it's better for the environment and it's renewable energy. But what they had to go through and what they are going through to ride their Harley Davidson live wires, um, basically from Antarctica up to Los Angeles, uh, Rivian had to install thousands of charging points. They have, um, you know, like basically no ability to charge these motorcycles. And it's like so exhausting to watch because I get the point of electric motorcycles and it's cool that they're, um, you know, embarking on this um, feat that hasn't been done before. But at, at a point, you you find that it's just not ready. And I think that electric powered long distance rides through third world countries is just not, it's just not a good plan. And um, the, just the distances they ride each day are pathetic. They're no, they're never able to charge their motorcycles at a point. They'll get to these built charging stations, which only got built for their ride and would have never been there otherwise. And the amount of, effort and resource that has gone into being able to make this possible is just not practical. It's um, I don't think it's very interesting from my perspective. Um, you know, it's almost like if you have enough money and you have enough resource, yeah, it can be done, but no average person could ever dream of being able to do it on their own. It feels very overproduced. Like there's, there must be a lot of money coming from Rivian, a lot of money coming from Harley Davidson, and it feels very controlled. Like, you know, there's probably a lot of PR teams that were involved in the editing and things like that. And so it really lost a lot of character that their other documentaries have had and a lot of character that 
you know, like Ed March and the C90 Adventures have. Those, I think, were much more interesting. It kind of struck me right from the very beginning as being kind of like the Coachella of long distance riding. Oh, for I sure. Mean, they have teams of people. They have an office in London, an office in the U.S., and they have these teams of people. And and, and everything's really dramatized, too. Like, it, it cracks me up because, like, you know, before they set off on their ride, Ewan will be in his bed is 2 a.m. and he can't sleep and he's just you know like wondering if it can be done you know he's recording himself like a selfie video and it's just like you know i just you know i'm concerned about this and i can't sleep but like there's teams of people that are working on these problems and it's like they dramatize it so much when you watch ed march in c90 adventures He's just having a blast the entire time. Like he's not worrying about anything. He's just riding his motorcycle down roads, stopping where he needs to stop. And he's just having a great time. And, and the, the, you know, long way up is just so dramatized. And it's like all of that, like, I don't know if it can be done. I'm so scared. What are we going to do? Just like nonstop. And it's almost it, like it's very, just it, ride a think- gas motorcycle and then, you know, don't worry about it. It's it's very twenty years ago. Yeah, yeah. for a style. Yeah, yeah. Like, and, and and if you think about when when Long Way Round came out, that was mid twenty aughts, right? Yeah, about twenty two thousand five ish ish. I think yeah. somewhere around there. So you know, let's pre YouTube pre. I mean, was there internet video? Absolutely, but it's not like yeah, it wasn't like the big like mainstream thing. Everything was still you still based everything off of what would TV, what would it be on TV, right? So you needed a storyline, you needed reality TV BS drama, and and they haven't they haven't evolved their style. Like they have like oh, this formula has worked before. Let's just plug new story into old formula. Yeah, and and and, I will say, Harley, um. I was impressed by how Harley was able to sort of take the live wire, modify it to suit their needs and being more of an adventure touring bike. And seemingly the Harley works pretty darn well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, it's, it's just not the right bike for what they're doing. And there is just no two ways about that. But um, I think it seems to work very well and could work in some applications like incredibly well. Um, also I'm really impressed by Rivian mm-hmm. and um, how they were able to basically put together these two pickup trucks and only a matter of weeks really. Um, and I almost like, I would rather watch the pickup trucks more than the motorcycles. I think that like, and, and this application is just more interesting to me. Um, I do think they, sh- they should have been on gas powered motorcycles. I, you know, I, and I get that the electric thing is that maybe they should have picked a different route if they were doing electric motorcycles or something, but it's just, it makes it really exhausting to watch. But then they have these shots of the pickup trucks and I'm just like, wow, I really want to know more about that. The- um, the Rivians are, are really impressive. I saw them two, oh, not quite two years ago for the first time at the LA Auto Show. Yeah. And the amount of thought and engineering that has gone into that, the flexibility, the packaging, it's a really like it, it's think if Tesla wasn't 
so slapdash together. Yeah. Like, like they actually really thought some things through and then put that into production. And that's really what it is. It's, it's a really spectacular truck. It's going to be super expensive, uh, yeah. as all battery powered vehicles are right yep. now. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's the next level forward. I mean, it is, it is really impressive and they go on sale in about nine, 10 months. Yeah. So, um, so, Garrett, before we go any yeah. further, I got to ask you, is there a point? Where they charge up their live wires off portable generators. Oh, every night. Which, which totally defeats yeah, the okay. purpose. It, yes. Yeah. It's, it's the, like, like let, no, 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 hold on. It is literally a diesel powered generator on a trailer. It, it's not just like, <laughs> it's not just like a Honda 2000. It's like they bring in a gas powered truck with a trailer and a massive diesel generator on the back of it to charge these bikes. So, in other words, you're going to really inefficiently transfer power from something that has no emissions controls on it for the environment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not to mention, like, what kind of resource went into building the 12,000 charging stations along the route? Like, yeah, just like it was just it's just kind of a dumb concept. And the execution is is kind of dumb and it's really dramatized. And there's PR forces from three directions and. It's I, it's almost unwatchable, honestly, for me. Like, I don't really have any interest in continuing it. I will. I'll watch the whole series because, you know, maybe it gets better. But, you know, the first few episodes are just almost unbearable <laughs> to watch. If you want to watch a real good adventure, like I said, Ed March, C90 <laughs> Adventures, YouTube. That is that is a good show. Yeah. So the live wire itself, obviously, they're doing the wrong thing with yeah. it. But does this make you more or less interested in the live wire as a product more interested um i think that the the user interface and kind of the 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 charge estimator and um they hardly was able to uh modify the motorcycle you know this this was early on they they basically got like some of the first live wires that were made you know because this was filled yeah they were like Pre, pre-production. Yeah. Like, I think yeah, this yeah, basically yes. a year ago is where, I mean, this, yeah. yeah they, they really I mean, like, so like these were almost sort of prototypes at the time. Evidently Harley like modified these to make kind of scrambler enduro kind yes. of things out of like in like 10 days. The suspension, the, yeah, like, the brakes, handlebars, body structure. They Harley really did a lot of work. These are almost unrecognizable. Like if you saw a live wire and you saw this, you probably wouldn't even know they're the same thing. And Harley really delivered on them. Also, they were originally only set up, I think, for level three charging, but they needed level one charging really to make it practical to use, you know, in, in South America. And and so Harley was able to to do it so like they could charge, you know, either way. I think that uh, the motorcycles did get pretty darn good range. Uh, although I did notice they're doing like basically 30 or 35 miles an hour the entire time. So like they'll be on highway where you would normally be going 50, 60 miles an hour. But I think just because of the limitations of the motorcycles and, and the conservation of power, they the speed, they reduce it a lot. Which they don't talk about, but it also just makes it seem even more like an impractical motorcycle to use if you have to ride to conserve power all the time to a point where you're driving half the speed limit. But 
they were able to get a hundred plus miles on a charge. I don't know how honest it is, but they do seem impressed by the motorcycles, both uh, Ewan and um, Charlie. But again, you know, there's probably a lot of money coming from Harley Davidson and maybe some pressure to deliver um, kind of a favorable opinion. But it seems like they're pretty darn good, actually, for kind of an electric adventure touring motorcycle. Not practical, perhaps, in South America, but maybe in the U.S., where you can actually charge it different places. So I, I have to say, we've talked about this before, but I have not heard anybody say anything critical about the Livewire as a riding experience. Yeah. It's expensive and it has not enough range, but other than that, I mean, most of the, most of the feedback I've gotten is they handle really well. They, they're really nicely built. You know, they're. Yeah. If there was a Tesla, like if, if Tesla made this bike, the identical bike, the Livewire, but call it a Tesla, I'm sure it would be sold out everywhere and everybody would want one because it's Tesla, but Harley, you know, they did the right thing by sort of, um, you know, advancing this technology and producing a motorcycle and, and electric motorcycles. Like I said, at some point they will be the future, but I, you know, it's with that Harley name. Will, will Harley be around for that future is the question. I don't, not, not in their current state. The Harley has value as a brand, but you know, at a point, how long can you take losses? And I, the Livewire is the right motorcycle. Harley is just the wrong brand. And I, and I have to say, there's been a lot of talk from a lot of people of, you know, hey, is Harley going under? And I've been like, no way. This is you're you're overblowing. Yeah. When I found out that they pulled out of the Indian market yeah. just a, like a week ago, they they announced that they're they're getting out of the Indian market. Indian market is one of the healthiest yeah. motorcycle markets in the world. And the fact that they're pulling out tells me they bombed. Yeah. Yeah, and, that, and, and they um, were. I, I think that they announced also they were um, no longer going to produce all. You know, they had all of those models that they were um, preparing to produce, like the you know the kind of street fighter-y looking motorcycle, and then that the motor the adventure bike. And I, I guess that they are no longer going to be producing those. The Pan American still going to come out next year. It is the street fighter is delayed at least a year. Yeah. They've, they haven't canceled it completely, but they've said we need to, we, we can't do everything at once, but a lot of like their other electric initiatives, I think are on semi-permanent ignore. Yeah. But as of 2021, uh, no sportsters in Europe yeah. and no streets in Europe because they don't pass Euro five. Mm-hmm. They've, completely pulled out of the Indian market, which is what they designed and built the streets to break into. Yeah. They were designed, engineered in India for Indian riders. They built a factory and now they're pulling the plug on the factory and not just pulling the plug, but they are completely pulling themselves out of that market for any motorcycles. I'm thinking, oh, you guys are in trouble. You are in much worse trouble than I thought you were. And my question is, if most of the components are manufactured in India, 
is it going to be cost efficient for them to continue to assemble streets in the United States? I wouldn't be surprised if the streets go away next year in the United States and they discontinue them altogether. They haven't announced that yet. My conjecture is if they're not selling them in India where all the components are being manufactured and they're not selling them in Europe, the chances of them selling them profitably sell them in North America is got to be pretty slim regardless. And I don't think they're that popular here anyways. I mean, they've got I, kind of an, I think I've seen one ever. It's almost as if Harley needs to come up with a second brand for their electric stuff. Yeah. Um, just because the traditional, I don't see the traditional Harley rider being interested. I think we talked about this a year or two ago. Um, and there's the, there is um brand equity in the name like you were talking about but that doesn't really transfer to the or, or translate to the people who would be interested in an electric motorcycle yeah um unfortunately i don't think the name buell would work anymore <laughs> no <laughs> but i mean but, but that would have been but that would have been the perfect brand to do it with because buell was always this weird quirky thing right yeah kind and of a you, boutique yeah exactly kind of. um so that would have been the perfect thing to do it with but well, and and what did they they bought? Uh, was it, uh, I don't know what. Yeah, it was that was a weird deal. By the name Colin Bramos. I mean, at least people understand what they're getting. I think yeah. that's some of the problem is when you talk about a Harley that's not a, you know, Harley Fat Bob <laughs> Ultra Highway Glide. Yeah, people are confused. They're like, is it really a Harley? Is what is it, what's a Harley supposed to be? How's it supposed to feel? You know, if it doesn't go potato, is it? Why, why would I want it? So mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I, I don't think Harley is going to really be able to sustain themselves, especially with that offering. So we'll see. Oh, Harley. <laughs> well, should we uh, wrap it up for this month? I yeah. suppose so. Good. Well, we'll be back again next month. Unless the world falls apart between now and then, which is very possible. Yeah. Distinct possibility. Yeah. There's, a, there's this thing called the election coming up in the next 30 days. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and Trump has coronavirus. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, I was on the way home. I was listening to some old Jefferson Airplane songs and one of them's the lyrics are, it's a wild time. I'm doing things that haven't got a name yet. <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I'm, I, we're pretty much there. So, mm -hmm. well, we will uh, see you all next month. And thanks, guys, for getting together. And uh, keep working in your shops. And we'll hopefully have more updates next month. Sounds great. Bye-bye.